Hello, everyone. Welcome to this edition of the Pharmacy Magazine Talking COVID podcast, where we look back at the past seven days in pharmacy, chat to a pharmacist on the coronavirus frontline, and decide who's been magic and who's been tragic in our good week, bad week slot. My name is Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine. Joining me as usual are Rob Darricott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, and Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News. Hello to you both. I hope you're well. Uh, Rob, what do you think of the new music then to the pod? Uh, I was, I'm very impressed with it, actually. I'm, I'm hoping we're all going to get our own theme tunes, Richard. Arthur, what do you think? Do you like it? Yeah, very jaunty. Packs a punch. <laughs> Packs a punch. It's, uh, it's quite funky. Um, so, um, how do you feel? I'm a little bit stir-crazy, I've got to admit. Um, this is our sixth week doing this, and I'm, um, I'm definitely beginning to miss some real human contact, I think. I'm having some very weird dreams. Uh, how, how are you into your sixth week of this, this kind of isolation, Rob? Uh, I'm, a, I'm generally OK, I think. Um, you know, our little, little gang here, we're OK. Not having any weird dreams, Richard. I think we ought to hear more about that. Uh, we'll do a special pod on that share, later on. Yes, yeah, so I'll share. Uh, I'll share uh, offline, as it were. Arthur, how are you doing in London? Are you okay? I think it's sort of week by week, isn't it? I think last week I was feeling a bit frazzled with it all, and this week I feel quite serene and enjoy enjoying the slower pace a little bit. That's all good stuff. Um, no, no weird dreams, then, Arthur. No weird dreams, none. <laughs> right, that's just me then. Uh, let's kick off. Uh, with our good week, bad week slot then. Um, Rob, who's had a good week for you? Well, Richard, I hope I'm not going to tempt fate here, but I think uh, I think Professor John Newton's had a good week. You might have seen him on the on the TV. He's been, he was in the, um, the government's pandemic uh, com- news conference yesterday, I think it was, uh, Thursday. And this is the guy who was appointed to somehow get the UK's testing capacity up to uh, 100,000 a day by the end of April. And, you know, that that whole thing was a kind of a doubling down by the Secretary of State who'd said 25,000 was the target and then suddenly out of the blue decided to quadruple the target. And everybody kind of said, you're joking, you know, where where on earth did you get that number from? And then, then John Newton was appointed. Now, I remember John Newton from... I don't know, 2011, 2012, when he was Regional Director of Public Health, NHS South Central, and he was asked to look at the evidence base for pharmacy's contribution to public health. And the one thing that I really noted about his report then was his very precise use of language. So he, the one thing I do remember was he was looking at the evidence for community pharmacy um, contribution to weight management programmes. And he very carefully said... There was no, on the evidence that was there now, you couldn't say that community pharmacy was effective at that. And then he said, but you can't say it's not effective either. And he basically called for more evidence. So he's a public health director, um, epidemiologist of huge note. Um, and he got a, he got the job. And, you know, I'm thinking, I know this guy a bit. Would he really take that job if he didn't think he could do it? And I think from the... From the press conference yesterday, I think he's going to do it. I think they're going to get to 100,000 test capacity. And the only thing then will be whether they can get 100,000 tests done by the end of, in a day, by the end of April. And I think there's a sporting chance they're going to achieve it. So I think he's had a 
I think he's had a good week and I hope I'm not going to come back next week and say, just missed it. But it talks a lot of sense. He does talk a lot of sense. Uh, and I think he has had a good week. Let's let's see what happens next week, Rob. We will come back to you on that. Um, Arthur, who's had a good week for you then? Uh, my good week is sort of adjacent to Rob's good week. Uh, I think it's a good thing that uh, testing has been rolled out to a lot more key workers. I know I think pharmacists will have had their emails from the BSA last week advising them on how how they can go about it. I think there are anecdotally some worries about um, people having to drive very long distances or some people have been turned away with their family members. Hopefully that's not happening anymore. Um, And once I think they're bringing on these... um, mobile test units that will make it even more accessible because I think this is the thing that's really going to ensure that the health service keeps running. Um, I think our surveys have found that, I think we, we did a survey last weekend and one three weeks previously and they both found that around a third of, of pharmacy staff were, were self-isolating because you know, they or a family member might have COVID. So uh, so yeah, it's, so it's, if, if testing can really be rolled out to, to key workers, that, that's a, a good week. So we may be turning the corner at last with, with testing then. We'll, we'll keep track on that as we go through the next seven days. Um, for me, well, it's, I think it's been a better week for, for NHS England. I thought that their pharmacy webinar on Wednesday um, contained some quite useful stuff, actually. Uh, it's been quite a good week for the uh, 250 patients of one pharmacy uh, in the South Wales Valleys. I better not say the name of this pharmacy. Um, the 250 patients are now getting their medicines delivered uh, and they, they weren't before. And I was chatting to the pharmacist this week. He's had to employ uh, another driver. So it's gone bonkers there. Uh, but it's been a very good week um, for the Pope. Uh, and and the supply chain. Uh, so what's the link between the pontiffs and pharmacy? Yes, Rob. Yeah, yeah. What's the the what's the link there, guys, between the pontiff and pharmaceuticals? Any idea? No. Is he has he established a generics manufacturing company in the Vatican? The Vatican is very big, Rob. Probably it is there somewhere. Um, but no. Um, I don't know if you kind of came across this last week, but before the start of Mass last week uh, in the Casa Santa Marta, um, Pope Francis asked to pray specifically for pharmacists, right, during the, the COVID crisis, um, who he'd forgotten to, to thank um, on his previous Mass. So he did that. He thanked pharmacists. That was very nice. Uh, but then things started to take a strange turn because all of the social media, pharmacists started reporting that they'd somehow managed to secure stocks of sertraline and, and clenil and, and everil and all those drugs in, in short supply. So this was like a, a pharmaceutical miracle. Um, and it got me thinking, why are we wasting all this money on government inquiries and cross-sector investigations and Oxida reports and the like? Let's just get the head of the Roman Catholic Church onto it. Small donation to the Vatican and, and it's job done. So I think it's been a great week for the Pope. Very good. Pontifax, take twice daily. (laughs) (laughs) Nice one, Arthur. Okay, uh, we better move on quickly. Before we do bad week, uh, let's hear from our our pharmacist on the front line. So yesterday, on on what was her first day off for six weeks, actually, uh, I had the pleasure of talking to Sutton contractor and MPA board member, Rina Barai, about her experience of the COVID crisis. Uh, it was a really interesting chat. 
and this is what she had to say. Thanks, Rena, for, for coming on the pod on your day off as well. How are you? Are you well? Um, I am tired uh, and um, this is my first day off in the six weeks uh, that we've been going through all of this, actually. Um, and I've been doing the six day weeks, the extended hours, um, you know, some days using that as a day of rest if I can. Um, and I felt ever so guilty to take this day off, actually. Uh, which I can imagine a lot of my uh, pharmacy colleagues out there feel the same because you kind of feel bad for the team that you're leaving behind and, and the workload that's kind of still there, to be honest. And now I feel very guilty for asking you on the pod on your day off. So uh, I really do appreciate it, Rita. Um These last six weeks ago, uh, six weeks or so, have been very um, turbulent and, and challenging for this sector. How have you found it yourself? Um, I have been really proud of the sector. Um, I think we have done exceptionally well to stay open, to look after our patients, to keep that essential supply of medicines going, um, to keep that, um, you know, the kind of making sure that we can give that advice to patients, making sure we can support our community, uh, and all of those things that we've just kept going without thinking about our own safety, without thinking about our own health, um, without thinking that we shouldn't, really, to be honest. Um, and we've just kept going. And I think that is incredible for our pharmacy sector to have done that. And I feel really, really proud about the way we've handled it. The resilience of the sector, I think, has been has been incredible, actually, and, and a great credit to, to pharmacists and their teams up and down the, the, the country. And um, can you remember the first few days? What what was that like? Were you in any way prepared for the onslaught that you faced? Do you know what? I'm one of these people who has to prepare, uh, and I have to sit there and think, right, what is the worst possible scenario here, and how would I manage it? And that's how I kind of live my whole life, to be honest. If I can imagine the worst possible scenario, and if I can get through that, then I'll be okay. And I think that's probably what I did quite early on. I kind of sat down and wrote a list of all the things that we have to think about in pharmacy. Um, and, you know, all these thoughts that coming through my head, what about this? What if my staff fall ill? What if uh, I have to close my pharmacy? Well, uh, you know, how am I going to protect my staff? How am I going to function? What if we don't get deliveries of medicine? Um, and all of these thoughts were sort of coming through my head. And I kind of made a list that I did share um, with quite a few people, actually. And I felt that was my way of coping. That was my way of kind of thinking, right, if, if it does all go wrong, what, what are we going to do? And I think I'm glad I made that list because it kind of helped me to um, plan plan it out properly, um, you know, prioritise the things that were important, such as protection of my staff and team. Um, and actually, do you know what? We've been service business as usual, service as usual. Um, and I think that's quite incredible. And I think most pharmacies have been able to do the same thing too. Yeah, that's a that's an amazing achievement, actually. Um, so what about those challenges that you faced? What were the, the biggest ones that you had to contend with? I think we didn't expect the number of people that came into our pharmacy in those first few weeks with the panic buying, I guess it was, over the paracetamol and the toilet roll and the disinfectants and the hand sanitizers. That took us by surprise. Um, and, uh, you know, patients and the public were really, um, you know, uh, I guess there's a lot of scaremongering going on. There was a lot of patients really, really anxious about it. And I think that took us by surprise initially, that initial rush of patients coming in. You know, we're, we're okay, you know, we're not always busy, but you know, we do get patients coming in, but nothing like the volume we, we dealt with. And then it was the phone calls, constant phone calls um, about people worrying about what will happen about their medicines. 
Um, and actually, if I look back, that probably wasn't publicised well enough about how pharmacies are open and you can still get your medicines and sort of some sort of public messaging around that would have been really helpful because we were shielding all those queries and, and that concerns of patients. Um, we weren't ready for the number of deliveries that we uh, now do because uh, of people staying at home because of the lockdown. I think those are sort of things that we weren't ready for. Um, but we've coped, we've managed. And how have your staff been um, right on the front line? The unsung heroes, really, I think, the support staff in this crisis. How have they dealt with it all? Do you know what? My team have been amazing. Um, all credit to them. Uh, they've come to work every single day. Some of them have got, uh, you know, children at home or some of them have got um, people who aren't well in their household, for example, and they're putting themselves at risk every day by coming in. But they haven't thought twice about it. They've all come to work. Um, and um, I think they feel an immense sense of pride. So when you know patients have been coming in saying, thank you so much for being open. Uh, this is incredible. You're amazing. And that just makes them feel absolutely wonderful. Um, and they um, would do nothing else but come to work. They've been really, really great. Sounds as if they've been fantastic. Um, and your patients, supportive and thankful in the main by the sound of it. Have you had any trouble with um, abuse or any of the nasty stuff that we've been hearing about? I, I think we've been lucky, um, and I think some of that is about framing our conversations with our patients. If you start to see a patient start to get a little bit anxious or agitated, uh, I think all of us um, know that there's a reason why. Uh, you know, they've got uh, a health problem of their own, or they've got their own worries. A lot of people have financial worries actually coming in because they've lost jobs or been furloughed, for example. And I think we've just been really considerate of people coming in and realising, um, you know, what their background is to all of this. Uh, we've had no one really be rude to us at all. Um, and I think that's because when people have been started to, you know, be a bit funny, maybe like that, we've kind of just said, look, we understand that this is a really stressful situation. And people have been on the whole really, really nice, really, really uh, supportive of pharmacy. Um to the point where, you know, some people remember a few years ago that they were signing a petition to save my pharmacy. Uh, and they're like saying now, gosh, what would we do without you? Um, it's absolutely amazing that you're staying open and you're coming to work. And thank you so much. And uh, it, that's been really, really amazing. That's really encouraging, isn't it? That's so good to hear. Uh, could you describe what you've done as regards safety and, and PPE in your pharmacy? Yeah, I think we went through several different phases. In the beginning, I kind of was really um, uh, thinking about how to maintain that social distance from quite an early stage. And we created like a makeshift barrier with chairs and um, we kind of put these masking tape lines on the floor so we were only allowing sort of three people in at a time. And, and as the lockdown progressed and the disease uh, kind of progressed in this country and the sort of levels of people having the illness was increasing, I think we sort of realised that we need to up our game in terms of how we maintain um, our safety and, and those that of the public coming in. So we actually bought plastic screens um, and we put, in, put those in and then we've actually kind of created like a plastic um, curtain almost uh, through plastic sheeting that we bought so that when patients come in, they are just in one little cubicle um, and the, the pharmacy is kind of closed off to them. Um, so we're only letting one person in at a time and everyone's following that rule. Uh, they're looking in to see if there's anyone in. If they don't, they wait very patiently outside to maintain their social distances. Um, and my, t my team feel ever so safe to come to work. They almost feel safer being at work than they do going to a supermarket or going on the bus to go home. Um, uh, you know, and, um, and that's been really nice for my staff to feel safe. 
Um, and I'm lucky it's an old building, my pharmacy, so we've got separate rooms, so we can all work uh, sort of distant from each other as well. So that's been really good for us. Yeah, that, that, that is positive, isn't it? Because obviously PPE has been a, a bit of a hot potato, well, for the, the health service in general, uh, not just pharmacies. So some very practical measures that you've taken there that, that have worked for you and your staff, that, that's great. Um, when we get through this, this crisis, as we will get through it, do you think there are any lessons that can be learned for the sector as a whole and, and perhaps for pharmacists working at local level too? Uh, I think there's loads of lessons we can learn, actually. Um, I think the first one is uh, to be proud of our resilience uh, throughout all of this is is the first one. But actually, um, what's been really interesting is if you think about it, there have been many people who said that pharmacists just dish out medicines. Uh, And actually, we have done so much more than that. I can't tell you the conversations that we've had, uh, you know, giving people advice, either when they've come in or over the phone, uh, you know, because they've not been able to get a GP appointment or they didn't know they could get one maybe. Um, the sort of people that we've referred to hospitals or back to their GP, um, what are the sort of things that I don't think many people realise community pharmacy does? That has been done at a much greater level by community pharmacies. And I feel that's a really important lesson for um, the NHS to understand about pharmacy. Um, so I think that's a really important one. And I think... Also, what's really, really fascinating for me is if you think about the two kind of businesses that have had to stay open, one is supermarkets and the second are the pharmacies. And the two essential things in every country that have stayed open are, you know, access to food and access to medicines. Uh, And so the value of the bricks and mortar pharmacy network, uh, you know, across the country is immense. And I don't think anyone ever sort of articulated that ever before. I never understood the need for those bricks and mortar network, uh, for that bricks and mortar network to exist in the country. And I think that's an incredible lesson um, that the nation has learned, to be honest, about pharmacy, uh, which I think is a really important message to kind of, you know, take into the future and how we think about how pharmacy could go in the future. And uh, you, of course, sit on the MPA board, but you, you're obviously day to day in the pharmacy. Will you do anything differently in your pharmacy uh, as a result of, of this crisis? Do you know what's really interesting for me? Um, And I think the fact that I am a jobbing contractor and yet have this NPA role, I feel like in a really privileged position because I feel like I have a foot in both camps. Um, And I think that's a really, really important thing um, for a lot of our pharmacy leaders, to be honest. And I think there's many like me. Sandra Gidley is a great example who I know has been working in the pharmacy and being the president of the RPS at the same time. Um, and, you know, there are other examples as well of, of great people um, who've been doing both. But I think currently you have to see it to believe it. And if you're not actually working in the ground on, you know, at grassroots, it's actually, you know, you would never imagine what community pharmacy is doing right now. You would never even believe how great it is. Um, and I think that, that the fact that I'm working in my pharmacy and have, have that MPA role as well allows me to have that voice at a sort of national level, at a senior level, to say, hold on, guys, you know, do you know how hard we're working down here? Do you know all the issues? Do you know what we're facing? And I think that's that's quite um, quite nice for me to be able to do that because I can talk the talk because I'm walking the walk. That's good. You are certainly doing that, Rena. And I've got one more question to ask you before we finish. What's the first thing you're going to do when lockdown restrictions are eased? 
Oh, that's a really interesting question. So I've missed out on my holiday to Bologna and I have been dreaming of sitting in a cafe in Bologna, just having a cappuccino, watching the world go by. And um, I think that will be the first thing I do um, because I desperately need a break, desperately need a holiday, desperately need to switch off. And uh, that's the one thing that I kind of think, oh, that's the one thing I've missed. Uh, I've dealt with everything, you know, we've coped, we've we've done everything in this pandemic. Uh, uh, you know, we're giving an, an exemplary service to our patients. Uh, I really hope they appreciate what we're doing for them. Um, but I think that's the one thing I'll do. That's it. A coffee in Bologna sounds wonderful. It would be a beer in my case, but that sounds absolutely idyllic. And I can tell you what, Rena, you will definitely have deserved that when we get through this. Um, thank you so much for joining us on the pod. Enjoy the rest of your day off and uh, we'll catch up soon. Thank you, Richard. So that was Rena Barrow there. Um, I felt very guilty for interrupting her well-deserved day off. But like all these chats that we've been having with pharmacists, I was, was so impressed with her well, positivity and, and pragmatism, really. Um, Rob, what did you make of, of what Rena had to say? Well, you know, she picked out something that I think we, we're going to hear a lot more of uh, as we as we think about the the lessons from this um from these last few weeks and that is she highlighted how important supply medicines is to people you know and i think we've we've kind of skated over a lot of that when we've been thinking about queuing and ppe and radically changing the way that pharmacies operate and of course right from the start of this whole process um you know the prime minister said that the one the two things you're allowed to do was get essential supplies and get your medicines and yet how often in the last few years have we heard people sort of some rather sneeringly talk about the supply function as if it wasn't actually fundamental to a lot of people's health care. So I'm glad Rena pointed that out, picked it up. And I think we should uh, we should be making a bit more of that as we think about the lessons from this uh, this pandemic and how pharmacies handled it. Uh, Arthur, do you think we're going to have to reappraise the supply function? Because like Rob was saying, it's become a bit. And sexy, hasn't it, in recent years, pharmacy supply role? Yeah, it's def- it definitely has come to the fore just how important it is and how important uh, it is to have a healthy network of brick-and-mortar pharmacies. Um, I mean, I understand there have been uh, issues with some of the online pharmacies taking quite a while to get people their medicine, so they might not be the sort of panacea that that's, uh, someone in the government might hope they are. Uh, yeah, indeed. Um, we might come back to online pharmacies in a future pod, I think. But thanks, guys. And, and thanks again to, to Rena very much for joining us on the pod this week. Uh, so let's move on to bad week time. Arthur, who's had a, a bad week for you in pharmacy this week? Uh, my bad week is a little bit abstract this week. It's uh, the phrase guided by the science, as in we are guided by the science, which keeps coming out at these briefings, mainly because I'm so b- bored of hearing it, but also because I think there's a growing suspicion that if they need to pin the blame on the on the scientists, then then they, they'll be prepared to do that. That's all right. All right that's fine. Um, OK, Rob, what about you? Bad week? Well, you know, when we started this whole, this whole uh, podcasting stuff, we, my first bad week, I think, was Robert Jenrick. Was he the house, the community secretary? I was tempted to choose him again. Because he was at it again this week. So he, he was the guy who announced the um, the pharmacy delivery service, you know, three weeks, three, four weeks before it was even close. 
And this week he was told, apparently, according to the press, not to talk about the PPE supplies from Turkey when he got his hands on the microphone again on Saturday. And of course, the first things he talks about is the 85 tonnes of PPE from Turkey, which then didn't arrive. So I was I was tempted to point, point the finger at him again. But instead, I've gone for people who hate the NHS. They've had a really bad week this week, haven't they? Because um, I don't know what they were doing last night, but presumably they didn't have the TV on uh, because they had that whole kind of big night in thing on the BBC. Um, you know, we've got the eight, we've got the 8pm Thursday night clap. Uh, and I don't know about you guys, but certainly around my around my way, I've got somebody who lets, a, lets fireworks off every Thursday night at eight o'clock. So the people who really, really, really don't like the NHS, they've had a really bad week. And now they're kind of trying to flip the whole debate now. So I've just I picked up a tweet here today. Um, we were told we needed a lockdown to stop the NHS being overwhelmed. Nightingale Hospital empty, A&E empty, GPs empty. Yet the little dictator, Matt Hancock, has us all locked down anyway. End this madness. And I just thought, you know, there's two ways of looking at this. It's quite a good thing that those places, those hospitals that were thrown up are empty. You know, is that a sign of success? But people who really, really dislike the NHS having a really bad week. Yeah, you, you, government can't win there, can it? Because they've they very successfully built up capacity. And, you know, we may need that capacity again, you know, going forward, because there's a lot of talk about second waves and everything else. So, yeah, you're right. Government damned uh, if they do, damned if they don't. Um, I believe the third mention of, of, of Robert Fourhouse's Jenrick on the pod. So as a government minister, that's, he, he's going great guns at the moment. Um and I want to, I'm going to pick a minister as well for my, my bad week. It isn't the pharmacy story, really, but uh, it did catch my attention um, because it's very funny. Uh, it's been a bad week uh, for the Welsh health minister, Vaughan Gethin. Now, now this, is, this is very much a, a parable for our times because uh, it involves Zoom and its mute key. Um, so Mr Gethin was speaking this week uh, at the Welsh Assembly where he was asked a series of questions by... Uh, a fellow Labour AM, I think um, Jenny Rathbone, but I need to look that up. Anyway, he's been asked about PPE and testing with the coronavirus, etc. And uh, and you've got to check this out on, on social media. It's very funny. Um, Mr. Gethin was answering her questions um, very calmly uh, when he was on screen, but then he obviously failed to hit the mute button because he he then embarked on what the uh, on what the, the papers, Wales Online or the Western Mail, as I still call it. it called a, a foul-mouthed rant uh, against Miss Rathbone because his microphone was still on and his, his comments continued to be broadcast. And, uh, and I can tell you, they, they were a bit fruity. Um, cue the inevitable apologies and calls to resign. It's obviously completely ridiculous. Now, uh, we like Mr Gethin. He's a big supporter of Pharmacy in Wales, actually. But this was a tad unfortunate and maybe there's a lesson here for MPs um, in the mother of Parliament as it starts to hold virtual sessions. So uh, it's very funny, but a uh, bad week for Vaughan Gethin for me. There's always that awkward moment when you're trying to hang up, isn't there? You're sort of, your face is still there and you're pointing at the screen. And... Well, yeah, I mean, we've got some great outtakes that Sam's been recording of all of us that we might kind of put together at the end. So, yeah, um, you've got to be so careful in this uh, in this virtual world that we're all in at the moment. 
Um, so coming to the end of, uh, of this edition of the pod, any other business, any, anything that you've seen out there that uh, you want to raise for our wider audience? I'm going to start volunteering next week at a, a kitchen for homeless people, making up sandwiches. That's fantastic, Arthur. Well done, mate. Good for you, mate. Good for you. Good uh, Rob, for you. you seen anything, Rob, out there? Well, I know, I, I, just that uh, I don't know what, I mean, I know what my next week looks like going forwards, because while we're doing all this, all this podcasting is all great fun and all that, but we still have magazines to put together so i've got one of those to do so i'm looking for looking forward to um to doing that richard oh the the day job i can tell you i can recommend something to cheer you up now you check this out on the twitter feed but you know last night there was this big night in thing and um there were uh, a load of boot staff uh doing their version of that classic peter k comic relief uh show me the way to amarillo was that tony christie um it's all part of the, the Big Night in charity, charity Appeal, and it was absolutely brilliant. Well done to Boots, and in fact, well done to everyone who took part last night. I think it raised over uh, 27 million quid, I think I heard on the radio. Uh, it's fantastic. Check it out. Uh, it, it will cheer you up. Now, I'm not, Richard, I'm not going to steal your thunder, but I, I got something come up on my, my um, music app uh, this week, which I'm m- much enjoying. I've never come across it before. If you're into a bit of uh, a bit of nas- national sort of folk music, Hamish Imlach, check him out. He, he's 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 not been with us for nearly twenty five years, so I had no idea where it came off my feed. But he basically got some of it's very funny, some of it's some classic folk standards, and and just brilliant. I've got him going on repeat at the moment. Hamish Imlach, fantastic stuff if you're into folk. All right, thanks for that recommendation, Rob. I'll I'll check that out. Um, and on that note, uh, I think that just about wraps up this week's pod. Oh, special shout out actually to Domino's Pizza who delivered uh, my wife's pharmacy free pizzas yesterday, which is very nice of them. Really? Um, yeah, re- um, shout out for Domino's, brilliant stuff there. And uh, and thank you to Rob and Arthur as ever. Uh, for this week's pod contributions, keep across all the news on, on pharmacymagazine.co.uk or pharmacynetworknews.com. Uh, the pod is now available on Spotify, uh, would you believe, uh, as well as all the sites. So follow us, share us, tell your friends and colleagues. Thanks for listening. Keep safe and we'll be back next week. But for now, cheerio. <laughs>